0: This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com.
1: All right, everyone. Welcome back to the Football Odyssey. This is your host, Aaron Harris. On today's show, I'm pleased to welcome Rick Mueller. Rick is a former NFL personnel executive and the president and CEO of Evaluate a sports consulting firm that provides out-of-the-box solutions to help small colleges and high schools maximize their resources to elevate their football program to the next level. Having worked in the NFL, CFL, World League of American Football, and the United Football League, Rick discusses his career as a football executive and goes into detail as to how Evaluate can help smaller and independent programs stay competitive in a sport that is constantly evolving. I've included Rick's contact information in the description, as well as a link to Evaluate's website if there are any coaches or administrators out there that want to learn more about their services. If you enjoyed the interview, subscribe, share, and rate the podcast to let me know what you think. With that being said, thank you all for listening, and now enjoy the show. And we're off. Okay. Rick Mueller, the president and COO of Evaluate. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for joining me. Better. So, I like I reached out to you. I first had heard your story on the Run the Power podcast, and it was a great interview because I got a a good sense of like your football journey and your life within football. And it's something that's been with you seemingly every step along the way. And you actually had started off as a ball boy for the Seahawks. I did.
0: Um, I have uh, an older brother that when the Seahawks got a team, I was obviously, I was can you hear me? Yeah, okay, good. Um, we lived in St. Mary's, Idaho at the time, and the Seahawks training camp was in Cheney, Washington, which is about 50 minutes from our hometown. And they were hiring ball boys. My brother got a job as a ball boy with them, he was in high school, I was just a little kid, but. I was around all the time. You know, we'd go over there at least once a week and watch practice and hang out. And, and obviously I played as a little kid, played all through high school, played in college, but I always wanted to do that. My brother started that way. Then he started, you know, he played football in college. We both went to NAI schools in the Northwest. And once he got out of college, the pro scouting was just starting to become a thing. And they hired the Seahawks hired him as a pro scout. Um, and so obviously growing up, it was easy for me. I kind of knew that you know, my path was going to be football, but it probably wasn't going to be playing. I was a 5'11 option quarterback that, with an average arm, so I knew that I'd have to do something else to stay in the game. I wasn't going to make any money playing, but uh, I enjoyed it. I actually went to school just outside of Seattle and Tacoma, Washington, the University of Puget Sound, and that's, it, it was easy for me to get back and forth, so I helped them with the draft. I worked training camp all through college and that type of stuff, so that really got my you know juices running and,
1: and got me started on my path in pro football. Were you more of a Jim Zorn guy or a Dave Craig guy?
0: I was more of a Dave Craig guy. When my brother started, it was Jim Zorn all the way. Um, But my bulk of my time around the Seahawks was primarily Jim Zorn. I mean, uh, Dave Craig was the quarterback.
1: Yeah, Yeah, thankfully, because of YouTube, I can go back and watch a lot of those old games. And it's it's funny number one because they were in the AFC at the time, which a lot of people today don't remember that, or at least my age don't know that. But the AFC West was really a brutal division, especially back in those days. I mean, it's still a fun division to watch, but yeah, I mean, someone like the championship games between, or the championship game between the Raiders and the Seahawks, I mean, it's hard hitting.
0: Yeah, I w- when I was in in college, that was the Bo Jackson Brian Bosworth Seahawk Raiders conflict. Yeah. So I was actually at that game when Bo Jackson ran him over and ran out the. Yeah. Pick- tunnel and all that so um yeah the, the AFC West back in that day was Raiders Broncos Seahawks were really the you know where the competition was and their biggest uh rivals and that type of stuff it was really a, a fun conference to be in at that time no doubt still is but it was yeah. awesome. like you like other fans you know it's changed you know a little bit because now like Seahawks are an NFC team which took a while
1: for me to get used to too yeah and the idea original Kurt Warner <laughs> what's that you had the original Kurt Warner, the running back. Exactly, exactly. I'm always curious when people sort of have like their first exposure in a football organization, whether it's the NFL or the NCAA, was there anything you learned as a ball boy for the Seahawks that you kind of carried with you for the rest of your professional career? Like whether it was a habit or some sort of like words of wisdom that you carried with you?
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. I learned that, hey, just be willing to do anything. You know, a lot of people ask me, Based on my history or experience, hey, how did you get into it? What do I got to do? And typically, it's, I didn't care what I got paid. I was doing it because I loved it. I was doing it because it was fun. I did it because I wanted to learn. And, you know, from even as a kid, I learned, hey, do anything. I would go in the summer and work. I worked in the, uh, you know, in the uh, equipment, not in the equipment room, but out in the uh, groundskeeping crew. So we would water the fields, we would mow the grass, we built a, loading dock at the seahawks facility we gave tours at their new facility whatever it took and then hey hey, there's a player coming in we need you to pick him up the airport i'd go and take a shower change clothes run off to the airport and then come back and you know mow the grass when i was done so you know i learned even when i started in 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 the nfl with jacksonville with tom coughlin you know hey we need to work out a kid uh at uh southeast missouri and i'm in jacksonville living in seattle scouting the west coast and i said hey i'll get on a plane and Work him out on my way back. You know, whatever it took, I kind of took that to heart and and learned that hey, whatever it is, be willing to do it and do a good job at it and, and take pride in it. And that was really the one thing that stuck with me my whole career.
1: Yeah, it seems that when a lot of people kind of look back at their first job, it's like those formative years that kind of almost dictated how their career is going to go to one degree or another. You know, you either kind of learn to have that appetite or you just kind of say it's not for me. Yeah,
0: yeah, and again, I was fortunate to be around it my entire life since I was a kid you know and around pro football to to be a kid in college and I would play in college I'd play on Saturdays and then Sundays I'd go work the Seahawks game you know on game day I would you know set up the headphones back then when they were wired headphones and and, and carry the cord for Tom Cowan who was a defensive coordinator so I had the lucky opportunity to be able to listen to those conversations and and just absorb everything that's going on and it's it's really a a sickness that you get, and you, you can't get enough of it and, and just soak it up. But yeah, it was a, yeah, I, I certainly had some advantages and, and tried to do my best to take advantage of everything I could and, and just enjoy it and learn from it, you know.
1: And after you graduated, you actually became a graduate assistant for Washington State?
0: I did. Yes, I did. I, I obviously, like I said, I played at University of Puget Sound. I graduated. Uh, at the time, Mike Price was a head coach at at Washington State, and he had went to UPS, where I went to school. And um, believe it or not, Mike Zimmer was a defensive coordinator. The Viking head coach now was our defensive coordinator at Washington State. Um, and so I interviewed with those guys, and I had an opportunity to go there as a graduate assistant. And, and Mike Price was as good of a guy to learn from initially as you could have. I mean, he let me. I played quarterback. He let me coach the quarterbacks. He coached the quarterbacks himself as a head coach. So he let really let me actually coach. And and not only that. Believed enough in me to help me and and teach me and how to recruit and learn how to recruit. So I, in my second year there at Washington State as a GA, I was our recruiting coordinator, which was awesome in terms of experience. He put me on the road. Joe Tiller at the time was our offensive coordinator. Got the head job at Wyoming, and we had a month left in recruiting, and and you know we were one short on the road, and he put me on the road and threw me to hey go recruit Miami, go recruit South Florida, and see if you can find us a couple players. We actually did in the last month of of the recruiting season. So he really gave me some opportunities to really learn hands on what the business, the whole recruiting situation and, and really let me coach. And that, I, I'll never forget that. And that's, he's somebody that I really appreciate that opportunity I had with him.
1: Now coming from uh, like a player's perspective, do you think it kind of helped you transition into sort of like the leadership and the you know front office and the recruiting side of it, or were there, you know, sort of learning curves that you had to get through? that, you know, playing couldn't help you prepare for?
0: You know, I think it's very similar. So, yeah, I do think it helped a little bit in terms of the learning curve. It doesn't mean that you – by no means am I saying you have to ever play to be able to scout or to be into personnel. You don't. But, obviously, when you're looking at opponents, when you're studying film, you know, and you're, you're being coached and taught, and then you're in a leadership position. I was a quarterback. I was a captain. So, you know, you're in those spots. That certainly helps you, but that's going to help you in any type of business you're in not just football but it certainly i think helped that you know shorten that learning curve a little bit in terms of just how to navigate you know the system and how to learn how to do things and and really you know pick up how to act if anything else you know and I, so i do think that helped out but i don't think that it's necessarily a must have in order to get into the scouting business or personnel
1: did you know going into that um you know, that experience that you wanted to go into coaching or more on the personnel side, or were you just trying to feel everything out and kind of figure out where your interests were? I had really, um,
0: at the time when I was at Washington state, I really thought I was going to be a coach. I really wanted to coach. And I other than recruiting, which at the time was a little bit different than it is now, but, but my passion at the time was in coaching. And so when I my two years were up as a GA at Washington state, I, I had the opportunity under Mike to stay as a recruiting coordinator, but that would mean I couldn't coach. And I really wanted at the time to do that. Um, I went to the world football league, had a great opportunity with the Sacramento surge at the time to coach and uh, you know, in leagues like that, you got to do everything. And we had a limited number of coaches. Jim Hazel was a defensive coordinator um, of the Sacramento surge. Kay Stevenson was a head coach and they gave me an opportunity to coach. And I, here I am coaching guys that are much older than I am most of them are older than I am because I was just out of college and just two years of graduate school and and down there coaching pro football but it was a great experience because all that we were all we had so we had to break down the film we didn't have a full staff of interns or assistants to be able to help us and and obviously having played quarterback and coach quarterbacks coach basically offense I played safety in high school and some in college you know when I first got there but so, I, and obviously studying it, playing that position, I had an understanding of defense, but I went down there and started coaching defensive backs, which, mm-hmm. and you have to learn on the fly. And I honestly, I learned more football at that point from Jim Haslett than I, than anyone else that I've probably been uh, involved with. And, and so that was a good opportunity. I really enjoyed it, but I was always interested and involved in personnel. And, you know, we were, we were the Sacramento surge in the world league that year, and then after the season, we actually won the World World Bowl World Championship, and then after that season, the league hired four or five young coaches from different teams to do the scouting for the league. So, in other words, we'd go to NFL camps and we would look for the guys that might not make the team that would be good World League prospects, good World League players. And I was one of those guys, and I really just enjoyed that part of it—evaluating players, you know, finding players. And so when I went back, the the World League ended up pulling the plug halfway through that fall you know we didn't play another season in the spring um but the owner of the surge ended up buying a canadian football league team and we were the first american team in the cfl at the time and so we all went everybody on staff went right back to work and i ended up moving back to offense coaching receivers but i also was our personnel director and mm-hmm. so that gave me an opportunity at that level to do contracts to understand that type of the, that side of the business to deal with agents and then evaluating personnel and i really got the itch for player personnel, for, for evaluating and scouting. And I really thought, and then I thought that was the direction I wanted to go. And then the, from there, an opportunity came available that a guy that I knew, Rick Ripers is his name, that was a uh, East Coast scout for the Seattle Seahawks for the longest time and has known me since I was a kid at training camp, got the college director's job with the Jaguars when they got a team with Tom Coughlin. And he said, hey, I can hire somebody to scout the West Coast. I'd like it to be you. And so that's when I got my first break into the NFL from the uh, Canadian Football League team.
1: That just shows how life is so nonlinear. You know, you never really know like what experience is going to lead to the next one. So I think it's cool that, you know, through like the two, you know, quote unquote alternative leagues that you were able to um, ultimately find your way to the NFL. And I'm curious, like with the World League of American Football, like at the time that wasn't yet associated with the NFL, was it? It was kind of a standalone league. It
0: was associated with the NFL
1: it was okay
0: each team would designate a certain number of players to each team, and then we would obviously they would obviously give us an open door to come into their training camp and look at the players that might not make the team. They would help us with that, allow us to watch film, practice film, preseason film, that type of stuff. so yeah, it was a part back then of the league. Um, when it came back, it was it was definitely associated with the league with the NFL, um, even more so than it was when we were in it.
1: Yeah, I always remember it as NFL Europe. And that's probably because in Madden, you could play like as the uh, Frankfurt Galaxy and stuff like that. So that's where I really remember it as. But going to your experience about like having to deal with guys who are a lot older than you as a coach, I mean, was there like one moment in particular where you kind of not felt like you had put your foot down, but an instance where you felt like, hey, I may be younger than you, but I still need your respect. I mean, was there like one instance that kind of stood out in your mind from that time? Not really. I never had that issue. I never Mm -hmm. had real
0: challenge where someone tried to challenge me I tried to learn everything I can obviously um, Jim Hazlitt as a defensive coordinator was behind me 100% I knew what kind of I was dealing with in terms of players Um, but I think I gained their respect I mean at the time Lewis Riddick was a safety for us at the Sacramento Surgeon part of that championship team and played for me basically as a safety and and you know I understand where they were coming from we weren't necessarily buddies or friends with them, but they respected the coach player relationship. And I think I was able to relate to them. But, you know, at least I don't think you can come right in, especially a guy that doesn't have a lot of experience and and really force yourself on and challenge people to do things. But I think if you know what you're doing and and you've got some support behind you, I think you're going to be fine. At least that's what I thought. And it worked out.
1: Yeah, I I actually watched the uh, game, or I saw like the um, it's like a thirty minute highlight with all like the huddles and stuff cut out on YouTube of the championship game against the Orlando Thunder, I think it was. Yeah, and it was yeah, I mean it was it was fun to watch. You know, it's such a different time because the the mics are so close that you can really hear when everybody's swearing. And then I don't remember what the quarterback's name was for the Surge, but he was getting interviewed like in the middle of the game, so it was it was fun to see. And I whenever I saw heard Lewis Riddick's name, I was like, oh, I had no idea. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's funny because, yeah, we had we had some players now. We had Mike Sinclair, who ended up being a Pro Bowl player for the Seahawks at, at one point. Mike Jones, the linebacker who played for the Rams, was on our team. Um, obviously, uh, Lewis Riddick. We had a, probably a dozen guys that went on to play in the NFL for longer than a camp, like at least a year or two in the league. Um, Kerry Blanchard, the kicker the kicked for the Colts after that for probably six or eight years, uh, was our kicker, and, and uh, it was a great experience. It was a fun time. That Montreal w- was the World Bowl Championship, and it was a lot of. Uh, I remember we we watched the replay, and it was in French because <laughs> most Quebec is French speaking, and you know it, David Archer was the quarterback who. That was one thing that Kay wanted to do. Wanted to get a veteran quarterback, and Dave Archer was had played in the league for a long time, and and you know was looking for another opportunity to get back in it, and and so he was our quarterback, and I he, he made a big difference for us.
1: Now, what about when the the CFL expansion came around? Did you think that it had a real shot to succeed in America or did you think it was gonna fade into obscurity within a couple of years? Well, I I think at the time we thought it
0: had a chance to succeed in America. And at the time we had some advantages, we thought, over the Canadian teams, because we didn't have to necessarily have a certain number of quota of Canadian players. Like the CFL teams, you have to have you get certain advantages and, and benefits if you have more Canadian Born players on your roster, obviously being in America, we, we couldn't do that even, you know, if we wanted to. But so we thought we had some advantages. It, it was a learning curve for us. Um, obviously we, you know, they don't play with tight ends, you know, that you only get three downs. You're, you're really playing with a spread offense and you really got to utilize the, the width of the field um, as much as you possibly can. So there was a little, a little bit of a learning curve at the time we thought it was going to, was going to stick, you know, we thought it would go, Um, why it didn't work out. I don't know. I was only there one season. I think they played another season and then maybe some other teams, maybe Shreveport and someone else came in that were American teams. And, and, uh, so it lasted in America for two or three years, but, um, it didn't, didn't fully take off. Like, like we anticipated it would when we first got a team.
1: That must have been valuable for you from like a scouting and personnel standpoint, because as you mentioned, you're playing with like spread formations and no tight ends. So I imagine it must have exposed you to a different style of play and be able to see, you know, a a different game in a way that you could evaluate and kind of add to your own library.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and just the trials and tribulations we went through when you're, you know, we thought, hey, we're going to outsmart and we're going to play with a tight end. And we quickly found out that's really not going to work in this league with three downs. And, you know, we, we were probably the best team in the league running the football. But, but you know, in that league, you got to throw it. And we, and we quickly learned that you got to learn to adapt, uh, adjust and adapt or, or you're not going to make it. And and we utilized the talent we had. We had a lot of speed, which I think helped us. But, you know, um, it was certainly a challenge. And there was a lot of differences that we, we didn't anticipate, even though we thought we did.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a game that you had to adjust to if you don't really watch it all that often. But when you get to Jacksonville, where, did you get to Jacksonville right the year they came into the league or was it the year after?
0: It was the year they came into the league. Um, in fact, we I got the job in 94. I started in June and we scouted that entire fall without a team, without games. So as you can imagine, that's as an area scout in the National Football League, you, you work all week. You go to a different school every day. You're at a hotel at night writing your reports. You, you go to a game on weekends and you get home every other weekend and you look forward to Sundays. You look forward to watching your team play because that's really the only time you get to connect with your team. And so that was, a diff- it was weird. It was difficult, but that was my first year of scouting. And when, you know, and when that season we didn't have a team to play, we, we were just preparing for the draft and getting ready for it. And we, we did everything the way we did. Tom Coughlin was awesome. I mean, we, we, he had a full staff. They game planned every week like they were playing a game on Sundays, even though we didn't have a team um, and and really challenged us to do the same. And and so other than not having a team plan on Sundays, we treated it no differently. And and really having that year to scout without a team was really beneficial to us and really gave us a jump start because we had some su- success early. Our second year in the league, we went to the AFC championship.
1: So, yeah, it was crazy to see, like, how quickly and I didn't the Panthers pretty early on too? also. I don't know if it was that same season. Yeah, was they, that the same season?
0: yeah, they went to the NFC Championship and lost to Green Bay. And we went to the AFC Championship and lost to New England in New England. So both expansion teams made it to the championship game in year two.
1: Who would have thought? What What was it about Tom Coughlin that really separated him from his contemporaries? Because, I mean, to, to do something like that, obviously no one expected it to happen. But I think only someone that has a real strong vision can really put a team in that situation. So what was it about him that kind of separated him from the pack? Well, I don't think he hit it
0: on the head. He had a vision and, you know, he laid it out clearly for everyone. Um, he, one thing I felt really good about Tom is he, he had no problem. You would think that, Hey, he's going to control everything, which he obviously had his hand in everything, but he hired us and expect you to do your job. You know, he delegated authority. He was great from a scouting personnel standpoint to work with. Um, you know, it. I just feel like we were a little bit of an outlet for him. He'd come over. He spent as much time with us as he would the coaching staff, but he was involved, but he expected us. Like I said, he'd challenge you. expect us to do your job. But the one thing that stood out, obviously he's organized. Obviously he's, he's very, you know, um, leadership wise. I don't know that I've been around anyone better, but, but you know, the thing that I always was able to, you know, you're as an area scout or as a college director, you're, you're all over the country, you know, you're, like I said, it's long, long nights and and you're you're away from your family, you're on the road. And but I knew this every night. I knew there's nothing on Tom Coughlin's mind that more important than winning football games. And when you and that's not a question, that's that's fact. I mean, he's he's thinking, how do we win games at all times? And and, um, you know, that's an easy that, that helps you sleep at night when you know the guy in charge is really that dedicated and cares that much. And then you also want to work hard for him because you want to let him down. You want, you want to make sure that you're doing your
1: job and you really want to help him out. When you were an area scout, did you ever, obviously you have a professional relationship with him, but did you ever kind of pull him aside at any point and just try to get his insights or, you know, pick his brain about where a young person like you kind of goes in this business from here on in? You know, not really. Um, there's really no pulling Tom
0: aside and having a conversation yeah. about where your career is going. He might pull you aside and tell you where your career is going or where he thinks you need to do different things or, or how, how to go about it. But really it's just watching the way he works. And, and again, there's no uh, gray area on, Hey, this is how we're doing it. This is how we're going to be successful and we stick to it. And that's what we're going to do. And once you understand that, once you buy into that um, you know, I think you're going to go far with him. He was great to me. He listened to me, he challenged me all the time, but I like that. I would accept that challenge. Um, but, you know, I think he knew if, hey, if you're doing your homework and you've done the work, you know, he, he respected that. And, and, you know, obviously we had some success and, and he, he would always want your opinion. And If you're willing to give it and, you're, and you're, you're, you have facts to back it up and you've, you've done the homework, you know, I think that's really what he's looking for. And like I said, you, there's no need to ask him because you're always going to know where you stand and how he feels and what his advice is on everything in terms of not only our organization, but what you need to be doing and how you're going to help yourself in our organization.
1: Now, where did you go from Jacksonville? You went to New Orleans, was it? I went to New Orleans. I,
0: after a couple of years as an area scout, um, we had uh, a guy left, uh, a guy named Ron Hill, who's a close friend of mine, was our pro scouting director. He went to Atlanta with, with, uh, with Dan Reeves, when Dan Reeves got the job in Atlanta as a personnel director and Tom shuffled it up. Rick Reapers, who was the college director, he made the personnel director. Uh, Fran Foley, who was the assistant pro director, became the pro director. And then he hired me to be the college director. So, um, that I was in that position for the last two or three years that I was in Jacksonville. And then, um, after the 99 season is when I went to, uh, to New Orleans as a personnel director.
1: What's the dynamic like between the being a personnel director and the uh, general manager? Because it seems like there's a lot of similarities between the jobs. But I'm kind of curious, as someone who held that position, can you just kind of describe the dynamic, like how you guys work together?
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, usually, and, and we would talk about this all the time, that dynamic has to be good. You have to trust each other. Obviously, the general manager's got a lot of responsibilities. Personnel director has... Personnel—that's your responsibility, and and what comes under that: pro scouting, college scouting, advanced scouting, um, the entire scouting staff, pro and college. Um, that's your responsibility, and that's what you're responsible for. Um, and then the head coach obviously has a coaching staff and his responsibilities with that. And the three of you kind of work together. And those that have success, those three people have a pretty good relationship and can actually say their how they feel and and talk it out and usually come to a conclusion that's, that's the right one. Um, And they respect each other and listen to each other. And I think that dynamic is probably the most important when it comes to the GM, especially in the head coach. And then the personnel director has to be, you know, on the same page as both of those guys in order for you to be successful.
1: How exciting was it for you when Drew Brees came to uh, New Orleans? It was a, it was a game changer, obviously. I mean,
0: we had, when we got in there, it was a two and fourteen team um, under Jim Haslett. We took it to the uh, took it to the playoffs. I think we won the division our first year there. Turned over about sixty percent of the roster um, and and really started from scratch and building that team. And and one thing that we had to, at times with Aaron Brooks as a quarterback, we had some success, um, had a couple runs, but then Katrina hit and we played an entire season on the ropes you know we basically had moved our entire organization five or six times during the season we basically played out of San Antonio and even our home games were road games you know playing at LSU or playing in the in the in the uh, Alamo Dome in San Antonio and that was really a difficult time and coming out of that obviously we hired Sean Payton as head coach um, that was in my opinion a game changer for us Sean was coming in was in Dallas Um, and came to our organization with a a fresh look and and some great ideas. And we were just missing that one piece of a quarterback. And at the time, it was unheard of, but free agents like Drew Brees don't come around. I mean, how often do you ever see really a quarterback, back then especially, make it to free agency? And so we had an opportunity. Um, You know, he coming off the shoulder injury, that was the the one concern. Um, Wasn't as big of a concern for us. We thought we were in a position, hey, let's – even we, we need to do this. We need to have somebody um, not only to quarterback us and, and be a leader on offense that that's on the same page as Sean, but to run his offense. And, and if we, if that's a chance we got to take, then we're willing to take it. And whatever it costs to make that happen is probably a smart move. And we were all on the same page hundred percent with that. And obviously it turned out, but a quarterback like that can be a
1: game changer for our organization. It certainly was for us. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I Seeing him play for most of my life was really just a blessing to see. I mean, he was such a great quarterback. And a move like that, obviously, you know, I think in the back of your mind, you kind of wonder, hopefully, that shoulder doesn't re-aggravate or anything like that. But it was just a magnificent decision. It turned out to be.
0: I'm sorry, go ahead. No, and again, with with Drew, you talk about him on the field, which is unbelievable. But it, everything that's said about him off the field is true. He's – he's when you're best player – where your quarterback and your leader of your team is your best worker, your best character guy, you know, always does the right thing, says the right things, I mean, a, a pillar in the community, then you're on the right track. And, and those are things you got with Drew. And you can't say enough good things about what he does off the field um, in terms of team building and leadership that that go on, you know, go, go unnoticed by a lot of people, but it actually shows up on Sundays.
1: Yeah, he's definitely, he's definitely a good role model for a lot of people to have. So just one more question before we go on to evaluate. You were also in the United Football League, and you were the general manager for all four teams. So when you went to the UFL, what was sort of your expectation going in? Because I don't – it played in the fall, but it wasn't created to be a competitor to the NFL. Am I correct in saying that?
0: That's correct. It was more of a developmental league for the NFL – um, we wanted our players to go to the NFL. We thought that would help us as a league if our players ended up being on NFL rosters. Um, it was an experience that was, you know, I, if you'd asked me the month before our first game, if we were be, be able to pull it off, I'd have probably said there's no chance. And and we were able to do it. And it, it was, for me, it was a great experience. I had um, Jim Fossil, Dennis Green, Ted Cottrell, Jim Haslett. Those were the four head coaches in the league. Um, at the time, we ran everything through the league office in terms of contracts and player acquisition and the drafts and those kind of things. Basically, what I did is I gave them all the information and let them make as many decisions as possible. If you if you lose a guy or you need a guy, they would call and I would give them you know certain guys that, that I would recommend to them. We ran a lot of our tryouts or workouts from a league standpoint. So um, but just as a you know, in that role we had to develop ways to think outside the box and do things differently in order to kick off, you know, in terms of team travel, in terms of off season or or preseason, you know, ability to work out. And we thought about ideas on how we can get that accomplished and and we were able to pull it off. And that in and of itself is a, is a feat. If you ask me, and and I think it's something that I'm proud of. I know the guys that work with me, um, a lot of those guys are in the league now and, and are still friends of mine, you know, looking back on it, it'd be the greatest book you could write that no one would probably ever read, but it it would be uh it would be a pretty good book if we put everything down that we went through in that first year of the league just to get it, just to get us to uh to kick off.
1: Well, I remember when I was in high school, I used to watch Versus, the Versus channel a lot, because that's when they had World Extreme Cage Fighting before the UFC had absorbed it and they had like action sports on there. And I remember watching the UFL, and it was good quality football. You know, it wasn't kind of like the XFL had been in 2001. You know, it was straight laced football and it was good quality play. And like you, the names you just mentioned, you know, there were some really good names. I mean, you had Jeff Garcia as your quarterback, I think, the year after that. So it looked like it had all the recipe to stick around for a while. um But after, I guess, a few years, it just kind of evaporated. It's difficult.
0: And I think a lot of these leagues have learned. It's, it's just so expensive to play football. I mean, especially pro football. When you're talking about, you know, compared to baseball or basketball, you've got to have 50 players at a minimum. You've got to be able to pay them, house them, uh, uh, workers' comp insurance, travel, team travel is expensive. Um, and unless you've got a really good TV partner or really good backing financially and sponsorship-wise, it's difficult because typically you're not going to get a lot of ton of revenue that you can count on from ticket sales t v ratings might be better that that would be a better avenue to go down, but it's just expensive, and I think that you know it's difficult and I know every a lot of people have tried it, and you know it's it's worked at times, but it's never really been something that that's had a lot of longevity, but we gave it a run,
1: yeah. Well, that's actually a good segue to talking about evaluate. Um, you know, I've never really have heard of a company like yours doing what you do, because from what I've read and from what I, I've heard, it seems like you're almost adding the, this Freakonomics method of trying to improve athletic programs. So I'm just kind of curious. Could you just talk about the company's goals, number one, and ultimately like where you got the inspiration to do this?
0: Yeah, it came from, you know, before I in the last since 2017, I've been, I've been at Coastal Carolina um, as the Executive Director of Player Personnel. I worked there with a guy named Joe Moglia, who was actually our head coach in Omaha the second year of Omaha in the, in the UFL. Um, he's got a unique story, really worth looking into. He was the uh, uh, CEO of TD Ameritrade, um, took TD Ameritrade basically from the brink of bankruptcy to the number one online training company in the world, had coached prior to that. Um, and decided he he wanted to go back to it and got into back into it in the UFL in Omaha and then went to Coastal Carolina as the head coach. And at the time I went there, he just basically said to me, he "said Hey, Rick, I want you to come in and really look at what we're doing. You know, kind of observe. At the time, they were going from FCS to Division One, and they, you know, just observe what we're doing and and let's talk about it and let's see what our strengths and weaknesses are. Let's see how we can improve and and go from there." And so I sat back. I spent a lot of time with the coaching staff um, and really looked at what we were doing. And, and Joe's always a guy that likes to think outside the box and really challenges people to try a better way. Try, let's try a different way. Um, in other words, if you ask, why do we do this? And your answer is because we've always, the way we've always done it, that's not the, that's not the answer he wants to hear. He wants to hear reasoning behind it. And if, if you don't have that, let's come up with a better way to do it because there's gotta be something out there. And And he always, always tried to, um, tried to cultivate that atmosphere of, Hey, let's, let's not be hamstrung by it. That's the way we've always done it. Let's try a different way. And when you have everybody's opinion, no bad ideas, let's come up with everything. Let's really think about it. Um, that's what I did there. And and when you do that, there's challenges at schools, even division one schools like coastal Carolina in terms of resources. And, you know, Hey, we need it. My point was we need a graphics guy. We need more people in just dedicated to recruiting. Um, we need a social media presence we need better work on the website we need to get you know more kids on campus you know whatever those are um you know at times you've got some some difficulties and challenges from resource standpoint just to hire someone at the college level um that can be difficult and especially at those schools the fcs nai division three division two um those type of schools have an even restricted more restricted budget um so they don't have the ability to actually hire someone with any experience or track record of success and basically, for the last year now, um, I spent talking to a lot of people. I have a lot of close people that like are on our board at evaluate um, I talked to coaches, agents, players, um, you know scouts, personnel people, and obviously college recruiting coordinators and and just kind of getting there. Um, thoughts and challenges and that type of stuff. And it always seemed to come back to, how'd you guys do it at Coastal Carolina? How'd you get to that point? And, you know, I started thinking about it and we put together a group of people that, and we, we talked about it for a long time. Um, how do we make ourselves available to those schools that don't have the resources to hire someone? If you think about it, you're at a NAIA school and you're the head coach and you've got two, three full-time assistants you really don't have a personnel department or recruiting department, you've got to not only coach your coaches, you're probably not also instead, of, at, along with being the head coach, you're probably the offensive or defensive coordinator, or at least running the special teams. You've got you know other things to deal with and recruiting kind of gets left behind. And a lot of times we thought there's some great special coaches at this level that do a great job in X's and O's and they do a great job of hiring coaches, but the recruiting piece of it is always kind of the one that you kind of rally to all the time and so what evaluate does is we're available to those schools that might have limited resources that can't hire someone full-time and give them benefits and sometimes it's it's even a matter of we just don't have the space we, we don't have another laptop to give somebody we don't have another office to give somebody and they don't have the money to be able to hire somebody in the full-time capacity that needs insurance and benefits so What we do is fill that gap for them and we can offer a product that can give them the expertise that they need and help them develop their program and really take their program to the next level from a recruiting focus and standpoint. So what we do at Evaluate is we'll go to our schools and we'll go in and really talk to them about their strengths and weaknesses and their challenges and and then do kind of an outside scrub of their entire recruiting process, their social media, their website, their really how they're dividing up their areas. Maybe it's even as much as looking at their roster makeup and seeing, hey, this is where you're getting players from. Maybe we need to expand to this area or focus on another area, those types of things. And, and we're really there you know, servicing them as a recruiting department, um, but we don't have to be there all the time. So we communicate them, with them all the time. And we, we're there for them. We, we have a series of things we go through in the summer, in the preseason, during the season. Um, in the fall, when you got fall recruiting, then you get into signing date and spring recruiting and and spring ball, and then you get into summer camps. So we just kind of work with them on a year round basis, basically, you know, over Zoom or over the phone, and we may, you know, obviously visit campus on occasion, but it's really something we can do remotely, and and it's really been beneficial to a lot of these schools, and I think it's helped them and and really helped those schools that have those restrictions in terms of resources they can afford to to. Hire someone or at least hire us to be able to help them in that, in that capacity and, and really be there for them to, to help them push their envelope a little bit and get them to the next level.
1: Well, what's interesting about it, too, is that it seems that evaluate is also offering this sort of like consumer psychology standpoint that I think maybe a lot of coaches and even athletic administrators kind of forget about. Because, you know, when you talk about social media, you know digital programming, you you mentioned like having some majors at the university. I mean, these are all things that kind of go into a person why they choose to go to a certain school and the athlete included. I mean, you you can take the standpoint of, you know from like a football intelligence standpoint, like thinking outside the box of, you know, converting like an oversized tackle or tight end into a tackle. But that's not necessarily going to get a lot of people to go if they have a space for you. You know, you want to try to find creative reasons to make people go for like branding opportunities or just for the overall aesthetic of the university in some cases. Yeah, it's really, I mean, if you think about it and through our research,
0: we find out that, you know, football programs at even some of these smaller schools are the most important thing to their enrollment, to admissions, drives admissions. And really sometimes they're, they're trying to get kids to play football, to come to the school so they can publicize their own school. And it really, you know, there's a lot of schools that have had to drop football or close their doors because they just don't have the enrollment that they need to have. And, and we've shown in, in the analytics show that the you know if you've got a competitive football program if you're doing the right things from a football recruiting standpoint and a marketing branding standpoint it's really going to help not just the football program which is going to benefit from but the entire school and you know help put their brand on the market and help them with enrollment and admissions and and really drive their school spirit which you know is is important i went to an nai school and you know we might not have had thirty thousand people but we filled that 1500 People in that stadium every Saturday, and everybody knew, you know, when the games were, and you know, that's just as important to those schools as as it is at Alabama or Clemson.
1: And when you at Coastal Carolina, I believe was it you that was responsible for the teal turf, or to bring a bad idea?
0: I'd love to take credit for the teal turf, but that was in there before I got there. But it was it was a it was actually a game changer. Um, And and again, it's taking what you have and looking at your strengths and weaknesses really looking at what differentiates your school from others. And that teal turf is, is a small thing, but it's one thing that really catches your eye. We call it surf turf. You know, it's a teal turf Our colors are teal and black. Um, and so you could really capitalize on that. We did it. We're, we're at Myrtle, we're in Conway, which is right next to Myrtle beach. We're 13 miles from the, from the ocean. And so we, we made everything about the beach ball at the beach was our hashtag. We, we really, really emphasized the beach and, and, and it it really helped us. I think it really got kids and and we, it's a beautiful campus. So, you know, we always would look at it like, Hey, what are we trying to accomplish here? We're trying to get kids on campus, you know, whatever it is. um, You really got to know what you've got to sell and then be able to capitalize on that and be able to get it out there in front of people. And that's really what we're trying to do.
1: Well, yeah, I can only speak from my personal experience, but, you know, growing up in Central Florida, you have SEC football and, you know, that's just a religion down in the South. But, you know, when you're watching late night, some of like the West Coast games and you see Boise State that has a blue field. I mean, for me, I wanted to check it out just because of that reason. You know, I might not follow the team for the entire season, but I'll still check out some games because the novelty of it draws my attention. And I just want to see the way they play because I'm already hooked. I might as well just watch the rest of it. Yeah, you see uh, the blue field
0: at Boise State really took the program to another level. I mean, it was mm-hmm. at the time there was no colored fields when they put that in. And, and it was a real eye catcher for them, a real something they could sell, something that caught everybody's eye and kind of put them on the map. Um, and, and teams have done the same thing. And, and I think Coastal had the same thing in mind when they when they did the teal turf. And I think it was a smart move. And, and really, it's capitalizing on what you have and, and doing the things that, that you need to, to get that brand out there. And I think they both those schools have done a great job at that.
1: Now, when you uh, go to a program, do you typically talk to the coach, the athletic director and the boosters like all in one? Or is there instances where you talk to everybody separately? No, typically, I mean, a lot of times it's the head
0: coach because they're the ones that really we're going to be dealing with for the most part on a a daily basis. Or they're really the ones that we're going to communicate with in terms of what implementing kind of what we're advising them to do but we also talk to the athletic director a lot of times the coach will want us to talk to the athletic director because they obviously approve most of these things um there's been times where where a coach said hey we, a booster could help us with this a, don- a donation to help us do this and would you mind talking to them and we'd be happy to do that um, and typically we've done it where we've talked to the head coach then we've had a separate conversation with the athletic director um, we've had a conversation with both of them at the same time um, the booster and the coach or, or the athletic director and and a booster of some sort, but it's really at the end of the day, whatever we can do to help that school. But, but really the program that we have and, and what we involve is going to be similar. It's just a matter of it's tailored to that school.
1: Do you find that one group is maybe more receptive to out of the box thinking than the other Because sometimes you you hear from coaches that a lot of them maybe get like stuck in their ways, whereas like, you know, other ones are always willing to embrace the next new thing. So do you find that like when you talk to boosters or when you talk to coaches that maybe one group is a little more ready to try it out, whereas the other group is maybe a little more hesitant? Typically,
0: the ones, the schools that we get, the schools that work with us are schools that are a little bit cutting edge. They're a little bit thinking outside the box and be that the focus of the school, maybe coming from the athletic administration, but typically it's the coach who, hey, they realize we've got challenges, we've got to do something different. You know, they'll they're not afraid to take chances on the field, X's and O's wise, but sometimes you know, talking about off the field or recruiting, they're a little bit more hesitant. But the coaches that we've talked to are very responsive, and they they understand the challenges they have. We're not trying to create them for them; they get that, and sometimes they know that. They've got restrictions. They've got challenges that they need to deal with and we can help them with that. And it gives them a little bit of peace of mind. You know, a head coach has so many things on his plate that he's got to deal with. This is just one area that obviously he's involved with, but he has some experience behind it and some advice that he can give to his staff and just the whole recruiting process that he can maybe sleep a little bit better at night knowing, hey, I got these guys got my back in this area and and it's one I can concentrate a little bit more on Making sure we got the right eleven out there, then then I have to worry about these little things in terms of recruiting, and that's where that's where we come in, and and hopefully that's kind of the role that that we've done for these schools and, and servicing them for for the program itself and trying to make them better.
1: Now, from like a, a competitive standpoint, yeah, you know, obviously, just as competitive creatures, we're always going to look at what people are doing, you know, around us and say, hey, I think maybe I could do something like that and succeed at it. Where's the fine line, in your opinion, between Implementing what other successful programs are doing and it's opting it in your own way versus becoming like a carbon copy because obviously you hear like in the NFL or I guess football in general that it's a you know a copycat league how schemes are constantly being replicated and while you may not be able to replicate the same exact scheme right now as a competitor that may kind of affect the way you recruit because you want to implement that scheme that's working for them so how do you kind of like draw the line between implementing what works for them and maybe making it your own versus just becoming like a xerox of a xerox in a way
0: yeah i think and again coaching is the same way you learn something different everywhere you've been every guy you've ever worked for every program you've ever been a part of you learn something again i've been around it a long time i learn something new every day in talking to the schools we talk to um and you got to be willing to listen and be willing to learn new things but you know the key is Getting those those schools, we don't we don't get a lot of schools that don't want to change. We don't get a lot of schools that hey we're good. If that's the case, hey I'm happy for them. Good luck, you know I'm I, I feel that I and I think that it's just specific to their program, so it's difficult. You may take some principles from a recruiting standpoint or marketing branding standpoint, some principles from some other places, but if you don't specialize, if you don't customize it to that school, then you are really kind of generally doing the same thing over and over again. And it's. I think the unique thing about recruiting and unique thing about college football is every program is different. Every city is different. Every campus is different. Every uh, geographical location is different. Roster makeup is different. Coaching staff is different. So you really have to know that program and get to know what they're all about and what their strengths and weaknesses are. And I think once you understand that, then you tailor it to that school and you may have similar, principles or you may have picked things up along the way. Obviously, we have with the experience behind us. We, we've we got those experiences. And, and I think that gives us a chance to be able to tailor what they're doing and help them kind of minimize it down to, hey, these are the things that we got to concentrate on to really be effective and, and get you where you want to go.
1: And obviously, as a company, you want to tailor your, your solutions towards each university. Um, but do you have an overall company strategy in a way saying that, you know, we want to obviously come up with creative solutions, but this is kind of like our approach and our, the way we utilize certain resources to accomplish that.
0: Well, it's a very similar plan for each school. In other words, you got to go in and you got to be able to say, Hey, what are you? The best analysis in our point, our opinion, self-analysis, you really got to look at your program. Hey, what are your strengths and weaknesses in recruiting? What, what are, what is your feedback from your own players or from recruits or from, you know, whatever sources you have in that? What, what are the strengths of your, what you're selling? What are the weaknesses? What are your challenges? Typically it's finances, or it might be, uh, you know, enrollment fees. It might be the, uh, curriculum. It might be the majors. It might be some of those things. And, and you just got to work around it. You've got to either get, turn a negative into a positive, be able to sell that, or you've got to be able to understand that and then. Know your strengths so you can really concentrate on them and then have the time to and the resource to be able to implement those plans. And it just depends on the school and and what they're doing. And really, it comes from conversations with the coach and and trying to get their thoughts on their own program and really feel how they feel about it, what their challenges are, and then helping them overcome those challenges. And, And really, if they can, if it helps them get four or five good players, that could be a game changer. You know, if you can get four or five really good players every year added to your program, you're going to you're gonna go from a two-win team to a six, seven-win team, you know, quickly.
1: Yeah, it's, it's an interesting conversation about like college coaches where do you really need to be a great coach to have success or do you need to be a great recruiter to be able to bring the talent to the university? So it's always kind of interesting how that dynamic always kind of plays into it. Definitely.
0: I think you have to be a little bit of both. I, I mean, you you have to be a good coach. And I think there's a lot of good coaches out there. There's a lot of good X's and O's guys out there. Um, There's some great ones. And then you've also got to be a good recruiter because again, if you're, if you could be the best coach in the world, X's and O's wise, but if you're not recruiting the right players, you're not going to win games. You might think you're doing the right things. You might be doing the right things, X's and O's wise, but if you don't have the players to be able to execute it, then you're going to be spinning your wheels. And, And so I think there's a little bit of both and, my, from our standpoint, hey, if we can help you with the with the uh, recruiting piece of it, if we can help you get more Jimmy's and Joes, it'll, it's going to help you with the X's and O's.
1: And usually, whenever I have uh, coaches on the show, I'm always curious to kind of get their insights as to what the future of football is going to look like. Either you know, from a philosophy standpoint, from scheme, from formations, and coming from the personnel side of it, I'm curious as to your opinion as what do you think the future is going to look like say maybe 3 to 5 years from now? I mean you've mentioned before how not a lot of people are playing football at an early age and how at times it's kind of it's getting harder to find good offensive linemen to go to the NFL. So like overall like where do you kind of see from a personnel standpoint going from um you know with specialization and things like that do you see it going even further in that direction or do you think maybe it's going to scale back at a certain point?
0: You know, I don't know at the end of the day. It, it's hard to predict where the game's going to go from an X's and O's standpoint. Um, it could play faster. It could be now all of a sudden someone's doing something where they're slowing the game down, trying to slow the game down. I don't know. And again, but I, this is what I do know. I do know you have to have players in order to be able to win games. And you have to have talent. You have to be able to recruit it. Um, in the NFL, you have to draft well. You have to scout well. You have to do a great job in personnel in order to really – win games and and so that piece of it's not gonna change. And but you know, you might change a little bit about how you look at it, you know, and and how you project players and, and how you go about evaluating players and those type of things. And and those things change all the time. Like you said, it's in X's and O's, it's a copycat league. People look at what everybody else is doing. Um, they try to take the best things from what they're doing. It's no different in personnel. You've got different philosophies different theories at different places and, and you you do your research and find out and, and it comes down to hey just doing what you believe in and and again challenging yourself i think the key point is challenge yourself to do something different challenge yourself to think outside the box and not be afraid to take a chance you're not afraid to kick an onside kick on to open the second half of the super bowl then you got to be willing to take a chance on evaluating players and recruiting players and let's see where that takes us
1: well said. Do you want to tell everyone where they can contact you or contact evaluate?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, our website is evaluate sports www.evaluatesports.net. Um you can reach me at rick.evaluatesports.net. That's my email. Um, you can follow me on Twitter it's r m u e l s 2 is my handle on Twitter. Um, if there's schools out there, coaches out there, We'd like to t- just have a conversation about what Evaluate's doing about your program. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, I've talked to coaches, more coaches every day than I, than I did the day before. So, you know, we're, we've got a staff ready to go and, and we're, we learn something from every coach we talk to. So we're excited to, uh, to hear from schools and, and we're, we're excited to reach out to schools ourselves and, and really help them get where they want to go, take their programs to another level.
1: Rick, I'm glad you took the time. Obviously, like I said before, you know, you've had a full life within football and it's still going strong. And I'm really excited to see where the company goes. It kind of feels like in some ways this is going to be almost like a future model for college football as, you know, some schools just keep growing and growing while others are trying to keep pace. So I'm really excited to see where this goes and I wish you the best of luck, really.
0: I hope so too. I appreciate it, Aaron. It's great talking to you, man.